Good morning. Well, it seems one day Peter saw a street gang walking right up to the streets, right, right up to the gates of heaven. So what did he do? He ran right into the throne room and he said, Lord, what am I going to do? There's a whole gang out there by the gates. And the Lord said, well, do what you always do. Take a look at them, assess the situation, and redirect them. Well, Peter goes back in, goes back where he, back to his job. He ends up running right back to the throne room. He says, Lord, they're gone. And the Lord says, who, the gang? No, the gates. <laughs> I guess you never really know what life's going to bring to you. We sang Holy Ground just a little bit ago, and as you were singing that, I kept thinking of the second verse of that song, which says, in his presence there is joy beyond measure, and at his feet peace of mind may still be found. If you have a need, my God has the answer. We're standing on holy ground. We're here today because we need a word from God, because we need his spirit to touch us, because we need to know that he is our God and we are his people, and he's always on the job. Thank you for allowing me to bring God's word today, and we're going to turn to that little Again, to that delightful passage of Scripture over in 1 Samuel chapter 17. The story of David and Goliath. Now, a few weeks ago, the pastor had said something in a message along the lines of, every time you get into one of these passages, there's three or four things you can take from them. There's just a whole lot of directions to go. I may go in a little different direction today, but I'm going to pick on one particular giant today and suggest that we were created to defeat giants. If, if this passage tells us anything, it's that, as small as we are, our God is that great. And folks, we are created to kill giants. We are created to kill giants. You are an overcomer. As we look in this passage, 1 Samuel chapter 17, I would begin with this thought, everybody, every one of us face giants. All of us do. You are not alone. Now and again, we get into that point where we have to face a giant. And our first thought is, I can't do it. And our second thought is, and I'm all alone. It is so hard. It is so hard when we're facing giants to realize what's going on in your head is going on in the head of everyone around you. We all must face giants. It's the Bronze Age in this passage. It's about 1,000 years before Christ. Y'all know how, how tall the average guy in Israel is? Five foot tall. A big man in Israel is considered a five foot tall man. Last week I asked Mr. Antry, how, how, how big do you think those banners are lining up the side of the building? We figure they're around 12 foot. So if you, if you got a third of the way down, maybe to the end in kindness or the T in patience, you know what that is? That's about how big Goliath was in this passage. And I look at this and I say, King Saul, who was considered one of the biggest men in the kingdom, a head above all the other men, he's probably a little less than six foot tall. These guys weren't very big. And along comes a giant. A man named Goliath steps into a valley between the armies, and he is massive. He is nine foot nine inches in the Masoretic text, in this text anyway, nine foot nine 
of armored muscle. There are some Jewish texts that put him closer to seven foot ten, but I'll tell you what, either way, I don't want to meet that guy in a dark alley. I don't want to see him in a valley. If I'm going to fight this guy, and I'll just say this, it'll be with a Barrett M107 sniper rifle from three quarters of a mile away, or I'm not touching him. <laughs> I'm not getting anywhere near this fella. He is too big. And I was thinking about large men. You see that guy on the screen? You like that? You know who he was? You got to go back a few years. He had a moniker named Andre the Giant. Well, my, my family was involved in professional wrestling. <laughs> so was one of the guys I worked with. And we were comparing fellows we've met over the years, and I have a co-worker who met Andre one day. You see the guy he's got his head on, the boxer? He's about five foot tall. You know how tall Andre was? Six foot 11 and went about 500 pounds. A good foot shorter than Goliath by one text, a good two or three feet shorter than Goliath by other texts. Any way you look at it, I have a co-worker. He says he was seven years old when he met Andre, seven years old. And to this day, he told me, one day, old Andre the Giant came along. He leaned over, and he shook my hand, and his hand engulfed mine. And he was the single, massively huge man I've ever met, and it scared him to death. <laughs> he was nice. He was kind. He was polite. He just shook his hand and went on. But I have a co-worker who, to this day, speaks in awe of the day when he shook hands with this massive man. And I consider that and say, that is the way giants make me feel. I feel very small sometimes. David was not the only one to face giants. Verses 3 and 4 in this verse, you know, you, you see these armies lined up and they all were lined up in array facing their giant. And I'd like to say that the army was made up of cowards. But honestly, they weren't. They were people just like us, who every once in a while run into something bigger than themselves and aren't sure what to do about it. The Bible tells me in Galatians 5 to carry my own backpack. It tells me in the same chapter to carry each other's burdens, but it doesn't really tell me what to do about giants there. They're big. There are personal giants, and I'm not really going to focus on them today, but there are personal giants. We have problems in this country of depression, depression being a rampant issue. We don't want to deal with it. We don't know how to deal with it, so we try to ignore it, and we feel like we're all alone in it. Some of our servicemen will come back with PTSD, and they will feel all alone, and they will have to face with something bigger than themselves but they're not sure how to handle. We live in a society that says drugs are the answer. We live in a society that says medicate. Maybe you'll be able to sleep tonight. Maybe. There are medical reasons for such things, and if you need them, take them. But I want to tell you what the Bible says. First, let me tell you, I, I know of a pastor in our association, a, a retired pastor. If I go to his house right now, he has a refrigerator full of beer, and it kind of makes me laugh because he'll tell you, the Bible doesn't say I can't drink a beer. Well, no, I guess the Bible doesn't say you can't drink a beer. But you know why I know he has a problem? Because the next sentence he will say is, but I needed to take the edge off. 
in order for me to sleep at night, I need something to take the edge off. And this is what I've turned to. You know what the Bible says in Philippians? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, my first stop, my best stop should be in my creator because he's big enough to hold me, big enough to carry me, big enough to see me through. Our personal giants can be doubt. Why would God allow good things, bad things to happen to good people? And then half the time it seems like, they're, you know, bums. Sorry, not to be judgmental, are running around and it seems like nothing bad happens to them. I'll give you a food for thought, just, just for fun. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says something really interesting. It says, all those who live for Christ will suffer persecution. Did you know that? It actually says that. If you live for Christ, you will have problems. Sometimes, sometimes bad things that happen to good people are a badge of honor. It means you're doing something right. Having said that, sometimes we get discouraged and we doubt and we find ourselves like Elijah of old in our old little cave saying, I give up. And that's when you know you have a giant facing you. When it's bigger, then you feel like you can get out of bed and face that day. But there's one big giant and the one I particularly want to focus on, and the one that I think is in every church in America, the pastor said a month or two ago, it is time for First Baptist Church of Waterloo to go back to our roots. We are called an evangelical church. Anybody know what evangelical means? It means that we recognize something. We recognize that sin is in this world. That sin is in my heart, it is in your heart. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. We have physical death. We face it in the church. We face it in our families. It is a result of sin entering this world. We face spiritual death because our souls and the soul that sins, it will die. And people are walking around hurting and they are walking around in their sin, and they need help. They need a Savior. I need a Savior. And I have never, never come to a funeral where I haven't looked in that moment at that casket and said, and this is why it matters. Because when I die, I'm going somewhere. I am going to choose in my sin to reject God and go to a place of hell that was designed for the devil and his angels. I'm going home. I'm going to a place that's better. I'm going to a place of joy. I'm going to a mansion. I'm going to a place where there's no more tears or sorrow. And you know what? I've been given, given 
the opportunity to give that gift to someone else. That's what it means to be an evangelical church. I can invite others to go home. And I believe with all my heart that our churches have slipped a little bit with that. We want to tell people about Jesus. We believe. But we're kind of scared. We're afraid. What will they think? What will I do? Society tells me I can't. They tell me all the time all the things I can't do as a Christian. They tell me, in fact, we're kind of nuts to be Christians. How can I spread the gospel? Being told that you are evangelical will put half this church and almost every Christian I know, it seems like in some other churches, into almost a panic attack. <laughs> they just simply go, oh, no. Jesus said very specifically and unequivocally, this is what he said. Go you therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And listen, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And I say that, and I quote that, and I ask the question, have we asked individually one single person, have we given the gospel to them in the last year? One person. Have we given the gospel to somebody in the last two years? In the last five years? Am I doing my part in going to the world and telling people that there is a God in heaven and that that God loves them and he wants them to experience new life? And ladies and gentlemen, that is our job. And we stand looking at a giant and that giant says, you cannot, you cannot tell people about Jesus. And I'm telling you, folks. It is time for the church to stand up. It is time for the church to find a David. But first of all, you know what we need? We need to recognize the fact that we're all scared of it. <laughs> we all kind of get a little bit afraid when it comes to facing giants, particularly that one. Every giant then. Uh, the pastor, you remember a couple weeks ago, he said, we may send a mission trip over to Cuba. We, got, we might team up with First Baptist Church of Redbud and do that. And I started laughing to myself. You know why I started laughing to myself? Because I know exactly what's going through most of our minds, which is, you go, brother. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I'll, I'll give you an extra 20 bucks to go. You take that 10 or 12 people who were able to go, who have the time and the money and, and want to go, I'll help you go. Go. Now, what happens if he says, well, let's go to the Monroe County Fair. And let's spread the gospel. Do we have 40 people show up? Would God find 10? What would happen then? It's a lot easier to send 12 people to Cuba than to talk to my neighbor about Jesus. Every giant, and I know this sounds a little bit sideways, don't it? I told you I'm going to take a whole different tack on this passage. But you know what? Every giant has to be faced. Every giant must be faced. It is not enough to recognize giants. We also have to recognize that we have to fight that beast or it always hangs out in front of us and it stops us from being who God wanted us to be. 500 years before this story was written in First and Second Samuel 17, the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt. They were redeemed 
after 400 years of slavery. A few days, they cross the desert, and they come to a place of promise, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. They went from being slaves in a desert to being promised a land with vineyards and or- orchards and grapes that were so large it took two people to carry the, the, the grapes. They went to a land that they said was flowing with milk and honey, and God said, it's yours, take it. And what happened? You all know that story. Numbers chapter 13, 12 spies went in the land. They came back. They said, everything God promised is true. It is 100% correct, but there's giants in the way. And we were like grasshoppers in their sight, and we're afraid. And you know what God did? God gave them exactly what they wanted. The Giants won 10 to 2 (laughs) on the next vote they took. And you know what happened? God said, if you will not face this Giants, if you will not fight for what you believe, I will give you exactly what you want. Israel wandered in a desert for 40 years. Canaan was just across the Jordan. And they didn't get to touch it. They sat in the desert, and God still had redeemed them, and God still provided for them. He gave them bread from heaven. He gave them water, and he gave them shoes that didn't wear out for 40 years. That's what they got. And all the while, the fullness of God was right across the Jordan. They were scared to go. Goliath must be faced. It must be faced. And that's going to happen when the love that I have for God and the love I have for my neighbor is greater than my fear. Seriously. If I asked you what group has changed our world, has turned it upside down in the last two years, what would you say? And I'll tell you my answer, Black Lives Matter. Regardless of what you think of their politics, regardless of what you think of what, whether it's a flash in the pan or not, every sporting event, every political event, every event that it seems like goes on in the big world, there's two or three or five protesters showing up with a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, and they're making all the press. They are changing their world. They're turning it upside down. That is exactly what people said the church did back in the days of Acts. When the church just had a few people. When the church had people who were so committed, so faithful to the gospel, that they were going to go out and do their job, it turned out that everywhere they went, they annoyed people. (laughs) They annoyed them to death. They got them to the point that people said, they're turning the world upside down and I wish they would just shut up and go away. And they didn't. They changed their world. In today's world, and I have a slide up there that says this. You know what we are as a Southern Baptist Convention? We are the second largest religious body in the United States of America, second only to the uh, Catholic Church. We have 37,000 churches. We have over 15 million members, 15.3 million last count. You know what else we are? If you went to the convention a, few, a couple of months ago, you know what they told you know what they would have told you? We have declined in membership nine consecutive years. Eight of the last ten years we have declined in baptisms. 
we have five plus million members who haven't seen the doors of the church they say they belong to in the last year. What do we really believe? You know why we decline? Do you know what those stats say? And I'm not a huge stats person, but you know what they say? They say we lost our message. We lost our focus. We got worried about politics. We got worried about stuff. And we forgot that in the end, only one thing matters. What's your relationship with Jesus? And when the church gets that back, when there's a David among us who will walk into the valley and say, I understand Goliath. I understand a man who trusts his own strength. I understand a man who trusts his stuff. According to Scripture, the man wore a 140-pound piece of armor on his chest. I couldn't even pick that up. <laughs> he had a spear that's 15 pounds of iron on just the tip. He trusted his stuff. And the world will tell you, trust your stuff. And the world will tell you, trust your strength. And we say, well, what can I do? At the end of the day, you know what we've turned into? We've turned into 15.3 million people lined up on a hillside, bivouacked, with the full armor of God sitting in a footlocker at the end of our cot. And then we're asking ourselves, why don't I have victory? And I'll tell you why we don't have victory, because the Bible never said, stare at the giant. It said, put on the full armor of God. And we're looking for a David. We're looking for a person who will say, I don't care. I don't care any more than Black Lives Matter care what somebody else thinks. When I have a message, I will give it. And I want to thank this church, by the way. And I, I think this is, a, this is a really good place to do that. Thank you for those of you in here, those of you who make cards and send them to somebody, those of you who sit home and make a cake for someone, those of you who give a cup of water in Jesus' name, those of you who have reached out to someone in the love of God and with testimony, that's doing your part. But ladies and gentlemen, let's wear the pastor out. Wear the man out. Start calling him saying, what can I do? And how can I do it? Automobile genius, Henry Ford, once came up with a revolutionary plan for a new product. It was called a V8 engine. You know, the guy sat there and wrote that out. He made a picture of it on a piece of paper. He took it to his engineers and he said, this is cool. Build me one of these. And his engineers all got together and said, he's the boss. We've got to figure out some nice way to tell him this. And they finally went back to him and said, Mr. Ford, what you're asking for from an engineering perspective is impossible. It cannot be done. 
And he said, that's great. Go do it anyway. <laughs> and they said, you're not understanding us. We're the engineers. You're asking the impossible. And he said, that's fine. Now go in the room in there and keep working on it until I tell you to quit. So they worked on it for six months. And then they came back to Henry Ford and they said, we're telling you it can't be done. And he said, it's impossible? And they said, yeah. He said, oh, good. Now go do it. And he sent them back in the room for another six months. And a year later, they came back to Henry Ford and they said, it can't be done. And he said, keep going. And one day, they did the impossible. They built that engine that couldn't be built. Israel sat on a hillside and they looked at a giant and they said, it can't be done. Can't be done. Goliath stood right there in the valley and he said, I defy you, I defy your God. And I'm telling you, the Philistines on the hill, we win. You're too small. You're too insignificant. You're just you. You can't win. And the Israelites sat on the other hill and said, he's right. Until David came along. And he said, who is that uncircumcised Philistine to defy our God? And that kind of leaves me with this last point. Every giant has to be finished off. It just has to be finished off. And I'm not going to do it in my own strength. And that's the good news. Ask me who I am. I'm no one. Ask me how strong I am. I'm not very strong. You want to find some fault with me? You won't have to look far. But guess what? It wasn't about me anyway. It was always about our God. A couple city boys, they decided they were going bird hunting. They, they wanted to take up bird hunting anyway, so they read all about it. And then somewhere in the book they were reading, it said they needed a good bird dog. So they went and bought him a good bird dog. The guy told him it was well-trained. It was a good dog. So they took the dog out, and they said, we're going to go hunting. But the dog just wouldn't obey any commands they gave him. It was really beginning to get on their nerves. Finally, one of them looked at the other and said, we're going to throw this dog in the air one more time, and if he doesn't fly, we're taking him back. <laughs> you know? Okay. <laughs> no, okay. You know what? I have tried really hard. The, the Bible is rife with this. Way back in the day, there was a guy named Bill Gothard. He had something called Institute of Basic Youth Conflicts, and later on he's changed names a couple of times. But he talked about something called death of a vision, and I really believe in this. Every once in a while, people have gone out and they said, I want to try and do something for God, and I failed, so why should I do it again? Let me tell you something. Almost everyone in the Bible who went out to try to do something from God tried it in their own strength, and they messed up really badly. Because it never was about them anyway. So they would try it the wrong way and the wrong, wrong method. And then God had to later on say, no, this is about me. So let me fix all this. David was a shepherd boy. You know what David had to his name? He was the youngest of a whole mess of kids. He was another Bedouin guy on a hillside. And you probably paid more attention to the sheep than you ever would to him. He was a nobody. And he had nothing to look forward to because he had no real inheritance as the youngest son in those days. You know what David owned? You know what he owned? A staff and a sling. And he lived in his daddy's house, and he was a kid that nobody paid much attention to. You think you, think you don't have much? You know who Moses was? <laughs> Moses had all the advantages of the world. 
He was actually supposed to get killed as a baby, but no, he gets, he gets rescued by a princess raised in a king. He was actually literate, which was really unusual for his day. Knew all kinds of stuff. And then he tried to redeem his people, God's people from bondage, and he failed. And where did he end up? Forty years in a desert herding goats for his father-in-law. By the time God called Moses, you know who he was? He was a guy who for 40 years lived in his daddy-in-law's basement herding goats for him. And what did he own? He owned a staff. What do you have? What do I have? I have immeasurably more than those boys had. By the time Moses was called, you know what, you know what he did? He went to the burning bush and he had to ask God a question. God said, Moses, go talk to Pharaoh. And, God, and Moses looked at him and he said, who are you? I don't even know your name. That's how far Moses was gone. And God said, go talk to Pharaoh. And he said, I don't speak all that well. Thank you. Send my brother. And then God told him again, go talk to Pharaoh. And Moses said, with what? What do I do when he says no? And God said, well, what do you have, Moses? I got a stick, okay? I got a staff. And God said, can I have it? And he said, yeah. And he said, well, let's go get him. And I ask you a question. What do you have? What do you have? Because whatever it is, God can use. We were created to kill giants, and every giant must be finished off. And until we face our giants, until we face the fact that we have stopped evangelizing in this case, and say, I will engage. And being a witness for Jesus, we're going to keep declining. 1 Samuel 17.47 is the key verse to all this, which says, the battle is the Lord's. You'll find that repeated in Proverbs 21.31. You'll find it in 2 Chronicles 20.15. David says in verses 45 through 47, I come in the name of Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, and today, today, you will see the unexpected. You want an unequal battle, David and Goliath? Goliath didn't have a chance. He had no shot at all. And I believe, and by the way, two things, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop this. But one is this. David had five rocks with him. Why do you have five rocks? And it's, it's rank speculation, but I'll go with this one. There were five of those brothers. And there's a little piece of me that says trouble don't come alone. And if all five of them wanted to walk out and fight, they would take them all down. Eventually, do you all know something? And here's my second point. We need each other, and here's why. You know later on David fought another one of these brothers? Ishbenob. He David went and fought him. And you know what? David got whooped. The Bible says he was tired. You ever get tired? And he was defeated. And he was on the ground with a giant ready to take his life. One of Goliath's brothers. And one of David's men stepped up and took on that giant. God gave us each other. What I can't do alone, I can do with you. With your strength, with your faith, we can do anything. So let's conclude this. 
There was an old scene in The Wizard of Oz. Yep, Wizard of Oz. Got to end with The Wizard of Oz. <sighs> Remember that scene where they come into the, before the great and powerful wizard? And what did they do? Oh, I'm scared. I'm afraid. All they could see was the smoke, the mirrors, the giant sound. What did God see? He saw a little guy behind the curtain pulling a few levers. <laughs> That's what God saw. <laughs> you know? Who's the giant killer among us? Who's our David? Who'll say in faith, I've been a little bit afraid. I've been kind of tired. And I've, I've not been willing to be engaged. I haven't engaged my own personal giants. I've been willing to accept the fact that sin is okay. Because I don't want to face it. You know what made David special? He ended up with personal giants he had to face, didn't he? He had a giant of lust that he had to take down. He had a giant of selfishness that was so bad it caused him to commit murder. And eventually, what made David special was a man walked up to him and said, David, you're wrong. And David said, I'm the man? You're right. As the pastor quoted last week in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Occasionally, I need to face my own giants, but today, today, corporately, let's face that giant of evangelism. Let's get on board with the pastor and say, we're going to change Waterloo. Not politically, spiritually. We're going to win somebody for Jesus this week. This is our time. And we end this saying again, we cannot defeat a battle giant on our own. We need a new life. And if you do not know Jesus, I want to tell you something, you ain't got a shot at beating any giants. But you have the opportunity to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior because Jesus said this. He said, I have come that you might have life and experience it abundantly. He said, I've come to give you peace. I've come to give you joy. I've come to give you abundant life. And if you're tired of sitting in a desert somewhere, you're tired of wondering why you can't feel okay, you're tired of wondering why, why, why you just feel kind of empty, this is our time. This is our time to face a giant and say, I believe my God will help me if I'll simply call on him. If I haven't talked to anyone, I haven't sent a card, I haven't sent anything, I haven't done anything in the cause of Jesus Christ, I'm willing to start. It scares me. I'm shaking. I don't even know what to do. Guess what? I'm serious. Where to pastor out? Call his phone. Hey, pastor, what can I do? How do I do it? There should be so many people calling him his phone. It just aggravates him. Aggravate the man. Give him something to do this week. <laughs> I don't even think he'd mind. That's our, that's our challenge today. So, 
Come on, let's stand and pray. We're going to give you a chance to pray, and we're going to give you the opportunity to do two things. One, if you've never invited Jesus to be your Savior, come and talk to us about it. And secondly, if you've got some giants you're just struggling with, come and pray. It's a good time. Pray where you are. Just give it to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you because you are a great God, because you have, in fact, already taken on the great giant, that giant of sin. Because when we could not, Jesus died on the cross, the just for the unjust. Because Jesus already won the victory. In Sunday school this morning, as we, we sat and I heard those words of God before us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God who justifies. And Father, as we sit in this room, some of us don't feel justified and we don't know that we are victors through Jesus. And Father, for someone who doesn't know you, we just pray they would come to you. And for someone here who is struggling with something that is just too large for them, it's too big for them, Father, help them to look at it, face it, and defeat it. In the name and the power and the blood of Jesus, we pray. What you got, Becca?